I don't want to end up on a fucking coffee mug. This was the phrase uttered by American icon Frank Sinatra at a dinner with his family at Chasen's in West Hollywood, California. He called a meeting with his family to discuss what would happen to him after he dies, or more importantly, to his image. After the other most famous entertainer in America, Elvis Presley, had died, he saw the unbridled bastardization of his image being used to sell everything from clocks to vials of sweat to fucking coffee mugs. You see, in that time, once a person had died, their image was completely up for grabs. As, of course, they could no longer speak for themselves, Sinatra didn't like that one bit, and he, along with his powerful lawyers, went to the California legislature and introduced a right of publicity statute. It essentially says you can't take somebody's name, likeness, signature, voice, and use it for commercial gain without permission from that person, which passed in 1971. Now, if you want to use the likeness of Sinatra or lots of other celebrities, you need to license them. A few years later, and just a few miles south of West Hollywood in Manhattan Beach, California, another famous likeness was coming to prominence, a caricature of Descendants lead singer Milo Ackerman. First graced the cover of their 1982 album, Milo Goes to College. Singing about subjects like romance, food, and the band's favorite beverage, coffee, the Descendants' blend of melody and hardcore became a seminal example of what many refer to today as pop punk. The caricature of Milo became the band's de facto logo and has graced the cover of several of their albums, including the subject of today's episode. And yes, you can get it on a fucking coffee mug. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Punkarama, where we strive and endeavor to get to every epitaph ever, where we wax poetic on nostalgia and aesthetics. So welcome aboard from your podcast warlord, and that's me, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to get straight down to it. My guest today is the drummer for Brooklyn-based band Primitive Weapons, whom you can find hanging out at a gallery openings with Bad Brains, having dinner with Jacoby Shaddix and Chester Bennington or just at the bar at St. Vitus. He'll probably turn around and look at you if you say Chris Enriquez. <laughs> that is one of, that's the best intro I've ever gotten to anything. Do you, have, do you get ever. a lot of intros to things? Uh, I'm trying to th- I was just on a podcast last week called Heavy New York. Okay. Um, what was their intro? I, 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 it was pretty basic. It wasn't that epic. That was epic. Thank you. That was very epic. I put some craftsman. I put time. I put time. Yeah. I put craftsmanship into <laughs> it, or at least I try to. You were really good at this. Thanks, yeah, man. Yeah, honestly. Thank you. And I've I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and I've been interviewed and and interviewed. Um, and you are within the first ten seconds. I'm just telling you, you're very good at this. Oh my god, yeah, Chris! I wasn't fishing, but I like what I caught. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about the, the descendants, everything sucks today. And we're going to get to all that in a second, but, uh, you're, where, where are you from? You're I'm from, from uh, Long Island, New York. What part of Long Island, New York? Uh, right outside of Queens. I was in a town called Manhasset. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like a, a yuppie town. If you ever watched uh, revenge of the nerds, yeah. kind of like one of those types of towns where you just got picked on by. A lot of uh, like guys in cardigans and jocks people and people that played lacrosse. 
That, that, that was that was my town. And Ted McGinley, uh, the Mr. Darcy from um, Married oh, yeah. Children, he was there. Jefferson, yeah. <laughs> Jefferson, yeah. Yeah, actually, Bill, Dar- Bill O'Reilly. Well, Bill O'Reilly is from my town. That, if that gives you any um, idea of sort of what Manhasset is like, I feel you, man. I'm from Staten Island. We got a lot of uh, we got a lot of that too, man. Uh, so when you were there, uh, what what were there like the uh, the record stores that you would go to when you were younger? Did you guys have a tower? We, I worked at a tower. Oh, you did? Yeah, <laughs> later on. But, uh, you know, initially when I discovered punk, uh, specifically through record stores, I guess, um, you know, there was a Long Island store called Slip Disc. It was very iconic and legendary at the time in, in a town called Valley Stream, also right outside of Queens. How far was um, that from where you grew up? It was about uh, 30 minutes away. And, uh, you know, I got into hardcore and punk rock through... Uh, a, a kid that lived in Valley Stream, and that's where he discovered a lot of underground music at that record store. Oh, I see. How would you would, would you get like your your parents to drive you there? Did you take a bus? Did you skateboard? How would you How would you get there? <laughs> well, I did skateboard, not very good, a lot yeah. of concussions, but uh, which went hand in hand uh, with with punk, I guess. I was watching a lot of <laughs> Gleaming the Cube. Uh, that's how you know I've been. I'm, I'm, I'm a '80s born, '80s bred uh, dude. But um, I, uh, my friend Conrad, who um, he was a, a, another Filipino kid like myself, and our parents were friends. So uh, oftentimes my parents would drop me off, sometimes hang out with his folks. Oh, I see. And uh, he, held, he had an older brother that was actually in a band with somebody from Sick of It All. And he would, uh, that, that dude would take us to Slip Disc, and also, or, or he would buy records or go to shows and bring them home and show them to us. So that was and, your uh, into this world of this stuff? 100%. Oh, yeah. that's, and that's fucking awesome to, yeah. have, to have that, like, that <laughs> sort of like, uh, entry into that. So what was the, is, the, is that place still open, Slip Disc? It's not, sadly not, but it was a place that was highly uh, regarded by a lot of like, uh, just a lot of scene folks, like yeah. the older dudes, because I think it was around, I mean, this is in the mid to late 90s now when I'm uh, discovering stuff. Okay. Uh, but I think it might have started e- either in the late 80s or definitely in the early 90s. So was that that was the sort of time frame that it existed. And what kind of place was it like? Was it in a strip mall? Was it like on its own thing? Like, what did it look like? How did it feel like? It was actually in its own thing. It was, uh, you know, a suburban town just on a regular main road. Uh, walk in, a whole bunch of t-shirts and records everywhere. Kind of oh. like... Uh, Bleaker blob, ah, bleaker blobs, bleaker, <laughs> bleaker bobs. Uh, yeah. You know, just a, a regular storefront. Mm-hmm. But bleaker bobs is like tiny. Was it that small? The, it, the slip yeah. disc? It oh, was wow. Yeah, it was it wasn't like that huge. Um, but uh, you know, there were a few. Like Long Island also had a place called Utopia. Okay, still around. It was a head shop. And so, and they had commercials on TV, like local commercials. <laughs> oh, those are the fucking best. Oh, it's great. Yeah, uh, they, I mean, it was literally like before Hot Topic or, or any of these places, a one-stop shop, you could go get tattoos and go get a hair dye and buy a Sex Pistols record and get the whole outfit in like an hour. And sure, and then your one-stop punk Transform yourself immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so those, those were the Long Island spots. And then, you know, I went to the city, I went to Bleaker Bob's and uh, Generation. If it wasn't for those places, I wouldn't have uh, discussed. And Tower Records, too. When did, uh, when did you when did you start going to the Tower? When did that, do you remember when it opened? Like, were you, were you there when it opened or it was just always around? I remember... Because when I grew up, uh, in the, I remember going to um, a place called Record World. That was a chain, kind of like uh, Tower Records. It was okay. pre-Tower Records, I think. And uh, then Tower Records, I remember there was a, there was a whole bunch all over Long Island, uh, you know. And it became a thing later on that when you were a teenager, you were you you know everybody in a band worked 
at a tower records and i worked at two different ones <laughs> but they always had the cool underground stuff you know yeah. i remember specifically buying bad brains record there bad brains live fugazi repeater uh, a lot of really memorable records that laid, you know had a huge effect on on everything i would end up doing with my life right know? because now you will now and uh, probably not long after all that you started playing drums, right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. you, Long Island is kind of a hotbed for fucking punk and hardcore and all that yeah. stuff. So uh, I asked you before we started recording because I had heard like, <laughs> yeah, you know, Chris, Chris, he could have been in Glassjaw. He would like audition for Glassjaw. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and so I like asked him to confirm that. And you told me, how many times did you audition for Glassjaw? I auditioned for them. Uh, it was actually twice. Okay. It was, uh, it was twice, but... Uh, I was asked to uh, try out for the band several times. I went to college. Well, well let me take it back. But sure. Like, uh, you know, I, I started going to the hardcore shows in around 95. Okay. And when I saw Glassjaw, and they're kind of like around my age, I'm 36. Yeah. Um, I saw them when they were teenagers. I, first time I saw Glassjaw, they opened up with a corn cover. They're playing, <laughs> uh, I, and my friend has it on VHS. I remember oh, Daryl. Awesome. Daryl had huge pants and a backwards visor, and it's like that was the style. And like, so I, I went back with those guys. And I went to college with them. I wasn't, we weren't best friends, but mm. but they were people that I saw locally. Sure. And uh, I got I got asked to try out. Todd Weinstock uh, was the dude that I was closest with uh, at the time in that band, and he asked me to try out. The audition was in my parents' house, <laughs> and it was just me and him. Actually, I think he was supposed to see if I could play the song sufficiently right. and then let the guys know. Yeah. That was right before Everything You Want to Know About Silence. Yeah, it was that record. The first, the first record they put on Roadrunner. Right. Um, didn't make it into the band. Got beat out by my friend Zaraja, who mm. went, uh, was supposed to play on the record. Apparently the rumor was that Ross Robinson wasn't really feeling him. So he was asked to take a step down, and then they got Sammy Siegler, mm. uh, who was in Civ, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Judge, all those bands. But, right. Uh, and then years, years, years later, uh, as in like, I, th I think it was last year. So it was like a, a gap. Last year, I interviewed Daryl Palumbo uh, on the Revolver podcast. I used to work for Revolver magazine. Mm -hmm. And we hadn't seen each other in a while. And when we were done with the interview, he looked at me and said, hey, do you want to be in Glassjaw? You should try out for us. We're looking for a new drummer. Told me on the spot what songs to learn. Gave me his email address. Gave me his manager's email address. I was told to videotape myself and uh, send it in. Uh, it was apparently good enough for me to come down and jam with Justin Beck, who, you know, if, if, if those who don't know, he, he writes all of their songs. He's uh -huh. kind of the guy... I must have jammed with them for like six hours. It was insane. It was Holy insane. shit. It was intense. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I end up, they end up getting a different guy. I, I you know, but I, hey, I'm still here and I'll. Uh, yeah, man. You know, they're, they're my favorite band that came from that, from that scene in Long Island. They're yeah. so good. They're, they're fucking up there with the greats, man. But you got to, you, you, you told me just before this that you played for a tour with Shia Lude. That's right. Um, before I get off that topic, too, oh, I, I, going, ran, I ran into Justin Beck from Glassjaw at a Bad Brain show last night, and we talked about this, so this is weird that we're talking about it now. But, uh, <laughs> it's I, not uh, weird, man. That's just the fucking <laughs> shit that you talk about. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, Shai Halud. I ended up uh, playing on a Shai Halud tour uh, maybe three years ago, and we, we were on the Earth Crisis 
20, 20 year anniversary of Firestorm tour. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy, but uh, so I played drums for for them. I think it was five days. That was it. But yeah, I was I was in Shiloh for five days. <laughs> that's pretty good, man. That's that's, that's, that's a cool thing to put on your CV, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got any other run-ins? Uh, I was that you can think of. I was in Super Touch for uh, for a show. Playing a band called Criteria on Saddle Creek Records for a tour with Smoking Popes. Tried out for Kobe. Oh man, I love Smoking Popes. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I uh, am forgetting anybody. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's you know what it is too. Like it's such a small. You start to realize this after a while. Like the the independent scene for a lot of the stuff we're talking about is pretty small when you think about it. Mm-hmm. So there's almost like a uh, it's like a social circle, you know, and it's a lot like a lot of the same people. If you're looking for a drummer or looking for a guitar player, like there's kind of like a menu of guys that people know about that get referred and it's, it's interesting. It's yeah. a scene, man. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. exactly what it is. I'm probably forgetting some other weird bands that I was in, but uh, I mean, On the Might of Princes was the band that I was most known for, Revelation Band, and um, and now I'm in Primitive Weapons and uh, Spotlights. That's fucking cool, yeah. man. I think that you've got like this great like mosaic of all of these fucking of all of these bands and this great work that you've been able to put together so cheers to that man well, thank you kent you're very welcome thank chris you, kent. uh but so let's get back to long island and this is around you said 95 is when you started working at the the uh tower probably around that time yeah i worked at tower records in carl place and then i worked at tower records in a town called huntington which was a le- that was a legendary place for long island hardcore and punk mm-hmm. rock kids because Every Friday night, when Tower Records would close, we would have uh, kickball games in the parking lot and get kicked out by the cops. And people from like so many different bands would show up with their friends, and sometimes there were fights, and it was nuts. Like there are videos on like some Long Island documentaries of like <laughs> some of these nights. Uh, Did you work there with Lucrazi? Lucrezia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, we didn't work there at the same time, but it was the same Tower Records. I remember he was talking about the friend of the pod, Brian Lucrezia. Yeah. Uh, that's funny, that because I just remember like that's such a <laughs> fucking specific thing when someone, when someone talks about that. Absolutely, yeah. But it was great. So yeah. that was 95. You started working at the one in, in Valley Stream and, and in Huntington because you said Carl, you were Carl Place. Sorry, Carl Place. Sorry, Carl but, Place. No. but uh, and I, I did get to see, if anyone remembers Jesse Camp from. Uh, MTV, remember the punk rock guy? Yeah. Was, uh, I, I, I remember working and he uh, got caught shoplifting. Oh my God. That was a great, that was a great time <laughs> to tell that story. So, uh, so a year later, at some point while you were working there, this album, Everything Sucks, comes out. Is this where you, where you picked it up? I believe so. Yeah. I, 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 you know, to, the, the interesting thing is I, I remember the significance this record sort of had uh, you know, in my life at that moment and, and what it meant to me. But oddly enough, I don't remember where I picked it up. I, mm. you know, but it was, I, I think I heard I'm the one, possibly maybe I saw it on 120 minutes, and I and I just had to pick up the record. It was, it was this was actually my in, introduction to the Descendants. Oddly enough, I'd, I was gonna ask you that. Yeah. Did you were you like into the Descendants or into all before uh, this record came out? But this was like your your introduction to it. You must have been like, oh, you're like aware of them, right? I was I was yeah. well aware of them, but it wasn't a band. Uh, that I really followed. I realized later on that I knew the song um, Coolidge mm-hmm. from from the skate video. I just didn't know it was the Descendants. <laughs> Another yeah. great way that people used to discover music in skate videos and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah man. And, and now everyone just wears Thrasher t-shirts. I don't know if, if they know the significance. Mm-hmm. It's like wearing an Iron Maiden shirt. 
<laughs> you get them both in the same table at Walmart or yeah, Target yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so you had seen, uh, what is it? Everything, every, not everything sucks. I'm the one mm. on like MTV or something like that. And you were, it just hit you as like, this is, this is a shit. Yeah. It hit me. Um, I, you know, uh, well, I mean, we could, we'll, we'll get into this now, I guess. Like, they, Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah. Um, that's why we're here. But, uh, I could relate to the lyrics of that song in particular. And, 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 and then when I got the record, I really was able to relate to every song on it. It was, I, I feel like there's different types of punks that exist. You know, you got crusty punks, political mm-hmm. punks, et cetera. But uh, their lyrics were just like, so like, it's just about like fucking, oh man, I got my heart broken or about like food, food or girls. Yeah. yeah food, much. girls, your friends, your dad. Just, yeah. And the like, very blatant lyrics. There was nothing poetic really about it. Well, depending on how you look sure, at it. Sure. But, uh, just so blatant. Straightforward. Stuff, uh, very yeah, straightforward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it spoke to me. I, you know, it sounds cliche, but I just, I remember having like a, a, a high school breakup and I heard that song and I needed to buy the record and I got it. And like, it just got me through that time. And, um, but you know, even listening to it now, it just stands the test of time. I, I can still put that on and relate to it. And, uh, and it still speaks to me. What was the other stuff you were kind of like really into at that time? Like when this came out in 96, mm. uh, like what the bands or the albums, you know, I was just getting out of grunge stuff. There was a, I mean, grunge was like a huge thing for me, uh, you know, beyond the obvious, like I, I, I really got into like the obscure grunge stuff, like Melvin's and Tad and. Mud Honey and all the more underground sub pop bands, and then when punk rock, like when I started getting into hardcore, uh, it also opened up a door to different types of punk music. And I heard Punkorama, which is interesting. That's mm-hmm. a, you know uh, that that um, a compilation. And so I was starting to get into Epitaph punk stuff, and also Revelation Records, uh, Youth Crew hardcore. Oddly enough, this was a it was a mixture of current hardcore and punk and also take me back to the old stuff so I was discovering things like Rancid and Sick of It All and um, No Effects uh, and and then also you know and Descendants and then and then going back in time as a result of that and finding out about Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits and all, this all stuff. the 80s hardcore stuff yeah yeah so I was at this point I was turning into a full-fledged hardcore punk kid and you happen to f- stumble upon this record which you know like the Descendants have this crazy lineage of like being there in the in the sort of 80s hardcore scene you know and not necessarily doing the same thing that like black flag and everyone else was doing they weren't uh i'm trying to remember in in uh filmage the the documentary i think it's dave Grohl that was talking about how everyone's shouting about reagan and they're shouting about girls and then girls that have fucked up fucked them over and things like that and so you know they were there you know, because you have first wave punk and then you have like the sort of 80, it goes underground, you have this 80s hardcore stuff and they were there in that scene, you know, and then Milo decides to, he, he needs to get his degree and, and do the biochemistry stuff. So they keep going with all, you know, Bill Stevenson right. and all them. And uh, they, and all just keeps chugging along, man. <laughs> new, new singers, you know, all that stuff. And then Milo finally comes back and he's like, hey, I've got some songs. Let's, let's, let's start putting them together. And so uh, Bill goes to um, to Brett from Epitaph, and he's like, "Hey man, do you want to put out a Descendants record?" And he's like, "Fuck yeah!" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. they get all they get all this together. But just like the story of the Descendants and the story of all, and um, they really lay it out well in filmage, like it, it and just uh, which is really, I guess, kind of the story of Bill Stevenson. You know, mm, yeah. like it, it's so fucking interesting, and like that 
all was so, so good, you know, and they just never, ever could like be the descendants. Not that they were really yeah. trying to be, but just like always fucking overshadowed, man. I think uh, it's, hard, you know, Milo is such a iconic dude. And, and, and just really when you think about it, like there's the obvious thing, which I don't know, might not be obvious to some. I mean, I, I believe descendants were sort of like the blueprint for Weezer and, yeah. and, and, and not just Weezer, but like also, you know, you know, arguably you could say was maybe the blueprint for Green Day and some of the other stuff. But, I think you can absolutely you know, say that. Yeah, man. yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, shit, like, and what do you get from, can I curse on you? Then you get Fallout by and all that stuff and Blink-182s, but, um, but I also think it was being done accidentally and, and this nerdy dude singing about food and being picked on and not fitting in and stuff. I mean, first of all, like, that's the stuff that I, I could relate to and, and, and I think, you know, most people, most average people that get into punk can, you know, and, and they all serve different purposes. I mean, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of Reagan stuff, but then I think why bands like the Descendants or the Misfits or Bad Brains uh, became special is because they all did something very different. Sure, uh, like, absolutely. You know, everyone was singing about Reagan, and while that was really important, you had Milo singing about, you know, being uh, dumped by his girlfriend. You had Misfits singing about vampires, and then uh, Bad Brains talking about some crazy spiritual shit. And, mm -hmm. that, and, and that's what I think makes bands like this stand out so much. And uh, yeah. And the, 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 the crazy, like, the, the interesting thing about it is that you, so again, you have the first wave, and then you have them coming up, you know, being put together in the second wave of like this, like, uh, you know, this underground hardcore punk stuff. And a lot of it's very, you know, it's aggressive and it's like kind of angry and all that True. stuff. And so, you know, to, yeah, a lot of like geeks and nerds and things like that, like you might dig the sound, but you might be a little intimidated yeah. by it. And so to have like, you know, you have the 80s, the 80s hardcore and then like grunge kind of becomes popular but like that third wave of punk where you have bands like no effects and rancid and green day all getting popular less than jake and stuff like that that were all sort of like taking that original sort of descendant sound you know because like they, they really were the project pro the progenitors of one of the progenitors of, of pop punk you know mm -hmm. and they're doing like the same thing as them uh, and then to have this record come out at the same time, so you have this like seminal band, like the band that's kind of started it, and then they can make a record when all this shit is popular again. It's just a real interesting sort of like time for them to put this out. Yeah, you know? they needed to, and it was such a good time for that to happen, like you said, mm -hmm. because there, it, 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 it was welcomed at that time. It was time for them to come back and sort of claim, and then, and it worked. They got they had a, they had a hit single. Mm -hmm. um, it was their, I think, even to this day, still the most commercial record they ever put out. Uh, commercially successful, uh, I should say. I think so, yeah. So in the reception of this, uh, well, it's at least the first Descendants released a chart. So hit 132 on the Billboard 200 and number four on the top Heat Seekers. So this was their, I guess, their first real taste of, of kind of like... Commercial success. Some, yeah, I guess, I guess like big time commercial success. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny because... They're, it's almost like they're riding on their own back. They're riding on their own wave. Like they kind of started it, and then you have all these bands like kind of like taking that sound and like doing their own thing oh, yeah. with it. Not to say that they're just fucking straight copying them or anything like that, but like you know, to have them be able to to come out and and just be part of uh, to have a little piece of all of this excitement around them that they kind of started is it's a it's a funny interesting thing. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, so. Let's uh, like uh, what, 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 when when did you listen to this last before you we started talking about this? Do you remember? That's a good question. I had not listened to it in years, but it's also one of you know because this record was so important to me. It's just sort of like 
you know, I, I feel that way about a lot of records that, 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 that were important in my life because they just sort of, how many times have I listened to this thing, mm -hmm. you know? It just becomes part of you at some point. You get excited when someone puts it on or if you walk into a bar and it's on. And something's it. playing. But I, I, you know, once I start talking to you, I started listening to it again, and I've been listening to it for days, and it's bringing me Same back. Here, and yeah. it's, <laughs> uh, it's, and it's really, you know, like I was saying before, it's, it's, uh, it's just as relatable for me now to listen to it with fresh ears again mm -hmm. as it was. I'm 36. When I discovered it, I was like 16 or something. Like it's still relevant to me, and it's really crazy, you know. And like a lot of pop punk records about chicks, and like just like those sort of stale topics uh -huh. don't really age very well. They seem sort of cringeworthy. This one does on so many levels. And I don't know why. Yeah. We were, <laughs> we were, I mean, shall remain nameless, but we were talking about a little bit about like a record and a band that mm. you had revisited and kind of like went a little bit stale. But uh, I mean, that that's one of the things I was going to ask you is this, this still hits you kind of the same way. Does it hit you in any different ways uh, yeah, at all? Man, it hits me in the same exact mm -hmm. way. And it hits me in the same way where, when he talks about waking up and going to work and how everything sucks yeah. and like, uh, just like he goes through his, it's this, this record I feel like is almost like a accidental concept record. Cause it's, it takes you on a journey of like, you're like every day, like your dumb everyday struggles, just like stupid shit. I mean, like we're mm -hmm. not, we're not starving and unemployed, but like his, you know, his problems really weren't that bad. The things he was singing about, but like there's, they still exist. In oh. my world today, the things yeah. that the things that he's singing about are still happening to me now. So, yeah. uh, just a little I've, bit more. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, 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 it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit more primer on this before we get into the track by track. So, you know, the the band was, you know, between between descendants. Ease they were they, you know, formed as all, and uh, so both all and descendants they signed to Epitaph. Uh, who released Everything Sucks, and, and the subsequent All albums, so Mass Nerder and Problematic, and then the All Descendants double uh, live album, Live Plus One. Uh, so it was rumored that uh, Epitaph wouldn't sign All without getting Descendants as well, but uh, Bill Stevenson talks about the arrangement uh, they made with Epitaph with, uh, with Brett, pretty much. And so he says, and this is a quote, uh, when we signed with Epitaph, it was for both bands. It was a thing of knowing Brett forever. And so I just sat down and said, well, we want to make records. And at the time we were leaving Interscope, we weren't happy with Interscope at all. So we sat down and told them we wanted to make both All and Descendants records whenever we want at our choosing. And Brett and I worked out a deal like that. And so it was really flexible and we could basically do whatever we wanted. So, you know, you have the advantage of like going back to an indie label and they're like, and especially when you're fucking Bill Stevens and like, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. Like, yeah, you know yeah. what you're doing by now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the guy was a fucking black flag for God's sake. Yeah. You know, people, you know, it's interesting, but uh, yeah, Bill Stevenson also recorded and produced a lot of these records. And yeah. that's, that, that's what also makes this record so fucking punk when you think about it, you know, like they made that themselves. Everything was, everything was completely DIY. Yeah, and yeah. You know, eventually they they open up their own studio. Uh, oh, the, I can't the remember the name of it room, either. The, the bombing room. Fuck, I can't. Yeah. I can't remember what it's because, called. Yeah, a lot of bands have recorded there since. You know, with, mm -hmm. with Bill behind the uh, boards. Yeah, really cool. I mean, they've dedicated. I mean, Bill Stevenson certainly has dedicated his life to, you know, punk rock in every way. And I mean, he was Black Flag was the blueprint for. You know all the bands and this whole lifestyle of getting in a van and doing all—no pun intended—but <laughs> he's just you know, and, and he's so unrecognized and doesn't get the props that he should get. I mean, he's, he's a drummer, you know, so maybe that's why I don't know. But <laughs> have you ever have you ever met him? I've never met him. He seems like such a sweet dude. Like yeah. he seems like the nicest fucking guy. Like he's just like you go like th there's you know people in fucking bands and stuff like especially in punk bands that are like they're fucking cool guys yeah. and like 
you know, you don't want to just go up to him and be like, hey, man, I fucking love that record because they're going to be sure. like, yeah, whatever. But, yeah. like, it seems like if you go up to him and say that, you're going to make his day. Like, he's going to be yeah. so happy that you said that to him. He's going to be like, oh, thanks so much, man. Yeah. You know, like, he just seems like he's that type of, like, sort of genial, jovial uh, oh, I dude. Was, yeah, I was telling you earlier, I kind of blew it. I, I, I should have been at the uh, infamous Descendant show at St. Vitus. St. Vitus. Uh, my bandmates... Uh, in Primitive Weapons own St. Vitus and I somehow managed to not be there. I blew it. You but, fucked uh, up, bro. I, I could have met Bill Stevenson and, uh, and told him how great he is. <laughs> <laughs> There's still opportunity. He's still around. Hopefully he's around for a real long time. Yes. But uh, when, when they were touring this, last bit of info before we get to the track by track, uh, they were touring this in September 96 to August 97. The U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, Europe, and they toured with Swingin' Utters, The Bouncing Souls, Suicide Machines, Shades Apart, Guttermouth, Less Than Jake, Handsome, Electric, Frankenstein, Social D, Pennywise, and H2O, and a few other people. It's pretty fucking good. It's a very diverse keep, roster of bands to bring out with you. Yeah. So I think that, you know, this is the, this is the first Descendants that people are getting in years, mm. and it fucking starts off with such a banger. This oh, song. Yeah. Hits you in the face. Hits you in the face. So you were talking about sort of the subject matter of this and what he's like, you know, kind of like screaming about. And I yeah. guess you could kind of say whining about. It's a lot of first world problem shit in here. Sure. One of the fucking, first of all, it's a killer opening track. I think that's, you know, needless to say. Yeah. Uh, one of the lines in this, I think it's kind of funny. Right girl didn't call and the wrong one's knocking. I still relate to that. You do? Right now. You're a fucking cool guy, man. I, well, you know... A lot more about how to, uh, uh, you know what? I'm not going to talk. <laughs> Let's just say it's a lot easier when you're older if you happen to still be single. If you're older and wiser. <laughs> I guess that's true. But Except life doesn't get any easier. That's true. Yeah, that's why you, may, you continuously make the wrong decisions. So, Milo, thanks for a soundtrack to that. Yeah, man. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for putting that out there. There's, there's someone else that, that feels that way. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a... I guess maybe that in that just that little couplet alone, uh, it's like a good summation of like you know it it is like first world whining. It's a little bit of an embarrassment of riches. It's like yeah. you know, oh, I already got this like American life. I already got this one girl, but now this other fucking yeah. girl is like knocking. Well, you know what I love about that track too is it's an opening track. Not only does it kick ass, but he wakes up to get some coffee, and oh, he, yeah. and it's like. I, and I don't know if it's if it was put in that order on purpose to like it's and as I've been listening to it now I'm like it, this has to be you know in an order it just seems like it you know but mm. uh, in, in a storytelling kind of concept I, I could it could be a coincidence but uh, but that's what I love like about this right it tells a story I think with with what I understand about the way that Bill Stevenson works because he's like really the mastermind behind all this mm. stuff like there there's very little coincidence with so much of this stuff like everything seems to be like he must have at least considered it like once or something like that so i think there is absolutely like a premeditated like yeah, yeah. we're gonna fucking start it off with this and think because yeah it, 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 absolutely there and so we get to uh one of the singles of this record oh yeah now who can't relate to this yeah man <laughs> 
and it's so catchy. It's so catchy. It's the it's the ultimate like I guess unless you don't count Nice Guys Finish Last by Green Day, a Nice Guys Finish Last type song. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's 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 you have to think Ramon's punk rock style is you know I mean that's pop punk as well you know was, sure absolutely it, it the chord progressions and all the stuff on this particular record and this song and the melody which is the, the big thing with the Ramones and with a lot of the with the, yeah. the descendant stuff yeah absolutely yeah I mean not to take away from the Ramones um, but the chord progressions that these guys in the descents were able to come up with were just so much. They were very, just very creative, and, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't basic. You know, this is sort of like taking pop punk to another sort of level, in my opinion. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I mean, like they're like that's the that's was one of the things that really like you're talking about like bands that were doing stuff that was different. That's what really kind of set them apart is they embrace the harmonies and the melody and stuff like that. You know, all of this kind of like Beach Boys esque poppy stuff oh, yeah. that bands weren't really doing back then. And so uh, the other thing about this particular record is Carl uh, Alvarez, who's the who's the bassist. What a great bass player! He great bass player, but you can really really notice it. I mean, with the with the sort of, it's also interesting to contrast like the how much better like the production is, like the just the production quality. Oh, the overall production is just so pristine. Yeah, just just yeah. because of technology and and now yeah. how much better Bill's gotten with all that stuff. But just like Carl wrote uh, so many more of these songs. Because uh, a lot of it was just Milo and Bill that was writing this stuff, but like I'm the one, Carl. Carl wrote this song. Yeah, yeah, and 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 geez, just listen to those bass lines too. Like, you know, if you, and I, I'm a total dork about this stuff, but even if you go back into uh, early punk rock days, I mean, Sid Vicious wasn't a great bass player, neither no. was. Uh, well, he wasn't know, even their original bass player. He well, was just yeah, there for exactly. Look, baby. Yeah. But a lot of these guys, like Dee Dee, I mean, Car- Carl was a great bass player. He was playing with his fingers and just fucking shredding. You know what I mean? The, and the other thing with this track is the bass is so high up there in the mix, too. Oh, you hear that? And it sounds so good in, in the hook, too. Uh, I made, I like made special note of that, how good the bass sounds in the hook. Yeah. Because he does this, like, you know, this staccato, like, he's, you know, he doesn't, it's not legato. He's he doesn't let of... the notes, like, flow into each other. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you hear... And that's a cool thing uh, about this band too, you know, being that they don't have a rhythm. You know, they don't. They, there's just one guy playing guitar, one guy playing bass. It's every you hear all of the guys how talented they are and what they're bringing to the song. Yeah, just the that, and that's a good that's a good way to put it too. Is just that everybody is so like talented at what they're doing, whether it's like just the technical aspects of what they're playing, yeah. which you don't get a lot in punk, you know. Yeah. But like, and to the songwriting, just like everyone's so good at what they're doing. So the single. Uh, this got released in uh, January of '97. The B sides were "Everything Sucks," "Lucky," and "Shattered Milo." Those are two B sides. I'll mm. hear later. And uh, there was a music video for this. Do you remember the music video? Well, at they were all? playing live. The, well, yeah, some of it's they're playing live, but like the there's like a little narrative, like sketchy type bit where they're like they're at a sperm bank, and then at the end they're like dressed as sperms <laughs> and they're like skateboarding yeah, down yeah. the street. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that now. Mm-hmm. I should have watched that before I showed up for this episode. But yeah, it's been a bit. Um, God, yeah. I just I do remember the live clips though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's so like just uh, you you can close your eyes, or even when you're listening to this, like you just you see Milo singing all these fucking songs, you yeah. know, yeah. in the way that he does. Uh, so the third track on this is Coffee Mug. Coffee mug. 
They wrote a thrashy song about coffee. Yeah, man. I mean, just think about how ridiculous that is. <laughs> well, I and mean, it sounds like they're that they. It sounds. It, it's so fast. It sounds like they had a billion cups of coffee before they. You know what I mean? You know what? You, you know what? I, and I just thought about this. I think like okay, so when I you know coming up and getting into punk and all that stuff, like I, I got into it through this like third wave of like pop punk through like Green Day sure. and through like Blink One Eighty Two and all that stuff, and I think. That like uh, you know I just had this thought that like one of the one of the hallmark things about early Blink aside from their you know pop poppy punk music was like the stage show and that like, they were just like fun guys you know like they would joke around on stage all the time and shit like that and they would like you know spit on themselves just silly shit yeah, yeah silly shit very and West Coast very West Coast but also like that's something that like the descendants have always had with them is they would sing about oh. food. They would make a fucking track of them farting on enjoy, yeah. you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And like, it seems like, like, yeah, I, I guess I just realized that like they probably originated that idea that like, this is all fun and silly and like, let's not take this too fucking seriously. 100%. Yeah. And that really became a West coast thing. You know, like a lot of those bands, like no effects <laughs> and um, obviously uh, blink and uh, just a lot of epitaph bands, you know, like, then of course you had like the more serious ones like Propagandi and, and, sure. and whatnot. But still, yeah, I mean like, uh, or that yeah, you mentioned Less Than Jake. I mean, there was just a lot of those bands that I think got that, uh, you know, sense of humor elements from what the Descents were doing, and uh, you didn't really get that in New York, you know. Uh, well, yeah, there's not a lot of like, pop, like uh, you know, I hate to keep using fucking like no, please, labels, it is, it's called like, it is pop, pop punk. There's not there's not a lot of pop punk that's coming out of like the the tri-state area. We have like a lot of hardcore, a lot of emo bands. Mm -hmm. Like you can think of. Of like and I would even say like fourth wave you have like um you have like people like uh like the starting line coming out of like Philadelphia and oh, stuff yeah, like I that. Remember those and guys. that's like a little laughter. But, but it's interesting, like it's uh it's all in indicative of uh of the environment and you know New York was a harder edged place and uh the West Coast, I mean these guys are like getting stoned, eating pizza at their mom's house and going mm -hmm. skateboarding and rehearsing and you know, it's like uh, the Descendants just sort of took that lifestyle and just put it into their songs and and and, and it set an example. <laughs> that's yeah, their whole culture. But, but that's the <laughs> thing is that it was such an example, and it, like I even feel like today, like what like the humor and the silliness and like the and all that yeah. stuff is so kind of indicative of like uh, pop punk as, as a as a sort of like subgenre in itself. Aside from like you know, whiny vocals or parallel fifths mm. and things like that, you know, like that is like this sort of like, uh, like sort of supplementary part of it. I never fucking realized that, but that's, yeah. that must have absolutely started with them too. Yeah. Milo, so, Milo never whined. He knew how to sing. That's true. Well, yeah, he did know how to sing. He never whined, singed, but uh, some of his songwriting was kind of whining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Milo and fucking Greg Graffin props. So we're getting to uh, a song that, I think this is the first one on the record that Milo wrote uh, that is not whiny at all, and it's called Rotting Out. Oh, yeah. Just like a good, just, straightforward punk song. It is, and and again, the lyrics. I mean, look this line coming up right here. If it's the, if it's it, actually, I'm thinking about the bridge. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just the lyrics too. It's just like we all feel this way, mm -hmm. you know. And 
And there's a there's something I guess you know later on in the punk world like uh, in the um, DCC and with Dag Nasty and Rights of Spring and when when the word emo really started to become a mm-hmm. thing and uh, you know short for emotional hardcore and I think really in a way you could sort of date it back to, to the Descendants because the whole idea of that concept of what was emo was you know not really you know now now it's not political punk and now it's not you know about you know, whatever, like being a junkie and all this other stuff that they, that people were singing about. It was about being, um, you know, anytime somebody wrote something personal, uh, a lot of times in maximum rock and roll, I guess, and as they were saying in the 80s, like they called emo. And mm-hmm. descendants were kind of, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, maybe Husker Du and all that stuff. But yeah, for sure, you know. Yeah. And these lyrics are totally um, indicative of that. Oh, absolutely. And it's just like, it seems like the distinction to, I don't know, to me at least, between like the pop punk and emo stuff or whatever. And I mean, this is all bullshit, but whatever. We're talking about music <laughs> sure. here. Let's, we're yeah. getting into it. Yeah. Like, it is like, is you have emo that is, it's not as fun and it's not as like positive and jumpy around and stuff like that. It's a little bit more dour and a little bit more sad, even though a lot of the subject matter is kind of shared and similar, you know? Yeah. Like, I think a good, so a band we were talking about before brand new you have like their sort of like first full release is like a pop punk album uh uh and then their second release deja is a i think like an exemplary like emo album and there's you know some similar subject matter but like the the sonically it's just like it's got a different sort of like feel to it so uh after that is my personal favorite uh song on this record uh sick of me oh okay there you go i fucking love this song Listen to that rhythm section. And the thing that gets me about this song every time is <clears throat> is the way that um, Stefan's guitar does like the sort of like vocal melody in the hook. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like right, like I wonder like who came up with that first, like did Milo hear that, like, yeah. You know, no, like no, who, no, who no, came no. up with that oh. first, you know? But it's genius. It's genius. Yeah, it's I'm glad great. you pointed that out. It, it sound I, I fucking love it. It's it's. There's a nice like uh, you know uh, like sarcasm in in all of these songs that I love. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost just like like this is how it's supposed to be, but it's really not. You yeah, know, and that's what I appreciate. That. Yeah, and that I I feel that way all the time. I don't know <laughs> if that's sad or what it is, but it's nice to have a soundtrack to that i think it's the way that you cope with things man it's yeah. like you have to like when you when you when you're hurt and things like that you have like the sort of sarcasm and irony as like uh you know you're kind of making fun of it a little exactly. bit like of course and if so it's could, a coping yeah. mechanism otherwise you'd just be fucking down in the dumps the whole fucking time Absolutely. it's like a way to, to laugh at it yeah uh yeah this this oh man i i don't remember the first time i heard this song i remember when i when i first started like pushing myself to get into the descendants I was dating this girl who like liked she was really into punk but she listened to like I don't know if you ever had this she listened to like so like the punk she listened to was so much better than like my punk and so like <laughs> I, I, like I like needed to like bone up on on all of this so stuff. was she into like you know old school oh I've been to dead Kennedys and circle jerks and you know was she into old school well that stuff uh, too but just like kind of more like 
more like underground stuff of like the bands like as they were coming up so like she's like oh do you know about this band or this band and i was like no and i would listen to it be like oh this is i love this stuff i understand you know and it's just things like that so be like ah like i gotta i gotta you know i gotta get better at like understanding this stuff girlfriend can't be cooler than you are when it comes to (laughs) punk rock stuff not even that she can't be cooler (laughs) it's just that like i i want to be uh it it, it's just a sense of like it's the same it's the same thing that fucking milo sings about and that we feel it's the it's the idea of like insecurity and it's like oh this girl's so much cooler than me i'm not whatever enough like and it's not that like i want to be cooler than her it's like i just wanted to be as cool or at least like not feel like a fucking phony yeah like yeah, yeah. like punk rocker or whatever it's kind of like the descendants uh their version of uh punk rock girl by the dead milkman it's yeah like you know oh absolutely another you know similar subject matter yeah uh and like but that and that song is just like what like a fun like just that, that song is a fun romp like that's yeah. what i'll say it you know uh about that and so we get to uh not a fun song actually on this record kind of deviates a little bit and this is uh this is caught oh yeah that's right ah yeah this one's uh, a little more on the political side yeah well just like it gets into like well listen to it like and what a time for us to be listening to this oh yeah So, like, this is, this is like, I, I, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know, so, uh, what's his name? Carl Alvarez wrote this song, and this is, like, more sort of in the vein of, like, the scene that they were coming up in, because they're talking about, like, you know, social issues and the sort of, like, justice inequality, and if you've got money, and if you've got power, man, you can get out of anything, but if you're just a fucking guy who's just, like, doesn't have any money or any power yeah. and you're fucking stealing you get shoplift or something like that you're fucked yeah you know yeah and so it's uh it's kind of an interesting deviation like from from the rest of the stuff Definitely. but uh, i think yeah. like certainly relevant and well deserved yeah and you know and that's that is really that that defines punk rock lifestyle in in a in a way when you think about it too you know it's like being an outsider and you know mm-hmm. not fitting in and and what happens to you when you don't being the underdog and things yeah, like that yeah yeah but uh yeah there's a, there's a lot of cool uh, uh message in this song i think and um, junkie you know. drug dealer does 50 years time while a millionaire murderer just pays a fine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's deep man mm-hmm. yeah and and it really shows the uh the diversity of um you know the the, the topical the subject stuff matter, these, right? yeah that these guys would cover mm-hmm. so you know yeah you got you got to throw in your one sort of social political song but like that's the other that's the other great thing about uh carl you know who wrote you know uh what was the other one he wrote i'm the one he wrote a few other songs on this record and and then he wrote caught so like just like him being able to go through all that and here's the other fucked up thing is that this is just this was a little 11 years ago now is it 11 years ago uh 96 and right or no it's 20 i was gonna say yeah yeah, sorry about that yeah that was 2006 my arithmetic is a little like damn no way yeah yeah yeah, how crazy is that yeah 21 years ago and unfortunately just as relevant today as it was back then that's right yeah and all that shit like that line would have fit in in the 80s just as relevant then too well actually just on a quick side Mm -hmm. tangent everything happening right now is 
is is is is probably worse in a way than what's going on in the eighties. So if anything, I hope we get some uh, good. Po- I mean, I've heard a lot of people say this, and I uh, uh, feel the same way. I really hope we get some good music out of uh, the the times that we're living in. A lot of people have been saying that, and I'm starting to hear other people say like, "That's I haven't heard that yet. Nobody's been doing that yet." But yeah. you know, we'll see. So for it hasn't those, been a year yet. It hasn't <laughs> been a year. But for those of you, just to to timestamp this, we're recording this in the week that uh, James Comey uh, put out his testimony uh, after he was fired as director from the FBI. And uh, I think just today, uh, Trump had his press conference that he pretty much said he's a fucking liar. Sure, yeah, so it's getting ugly. But, uh, it's getting ugly. Relevant to, re- relevant to today, and uh, hopefully some good punk rock bands will, uh, will, have a, will have a fifth wave or whatever wave we're in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. getting into their other single that's coming up right now, uh, when I get old, God, I'm old. How many times have you said that about yourself, like growing up? I feel like, like, there's all of these points in your life when you reach like different sort of milestones in adulthood. Oh, yeah. You know, like you probably did that when you graduated college, and like, oh, I gotta get an apartment. I'm so old now, or like, well, oh, I can't fucking do this until <laughs> then. Oh, I'm so old now. Like, there's all of these like points in life when you keep saying that. I wonder when. When people stop saying that, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a good point. I, I, I started saying that after I was playing punk rock bands for too long. <laughs> when you're thirty, when you're thirty years old, and you're still going to rehearsal spaces and paying for it and getting in a van. <laughs> but, um, you think you think you're too old for that now? No, obviously not, because I'm still doing it and now I'm pushing forty. <laughs> so, so Milo. I love this line. Uh, Milo was, let's see, he's 54 now, yeah. so minus 21. He wrote he this was when he was 33. Your age, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much my age. Wow. Well, you know what, though? It's, it, again, still relevant, you know? Like, I, I guess, you know, depending on how you look at it, I'm kind of doing the same thing today that I was doing 20 years ago, but on a slightly, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not living at my parents' house, but you always, sure. you know, this song is just such a, you know, it's just it's just great. Like you know, it's a great again, very relevant, great soundtrack. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hold on. That's okay, man. So yeah, I mean, this is this was the second single. It had a video of its own uh, that came out. Let's see, when this when this single came out, it was the June it was June sixth of 1997, and then the B sides on this were "Sick of Me," my favorite track from this record, yeah. and a song called "Gotta," uh, which actually had let's see. Who's on it? Gotta had uh, Tony Lombardo on it, and this this album's cool because you get you know the the descendants are kind of like reuniting to put together a record, but then you have all of these other descendants that were in other iterations of the bands coming back. You got Frank Navetta on this record, Tony Lombardo's on this record. They're contributing, they're playing, they're doing all this great stuff on here. It's just cool when bands like uh, are kind of able to do that because you do get the sense of like, oh, these guys are like friends and they're all still boys and things like that, you know? And they were yeah. probably just hanging out at the studio and uh, they were just like, oh, you know, I got this song or you want to play on this song? And they're like, yeah, why the fuck not, you know? Um, it's just a, it's a nice thing to see when you, a band can have that sort of like lineage and uh, I don't know, just like kind of keep up like that Absolutely. and do these things, you know? Yeah, yeah, they're still doing it too. Uh, so then we get into uh, Doghouse, the eighth track. Oh man, I could relate to being in the Doghouse. <laughs> so this was a song that Frank Navetta wrote, who is in the 
original uh, lineup of Descendants, the very first one, yeah. with Tony and Bill. So Tony and Frank both play on this song, too. Yeah, I mean, and, then, and again, you bring up the lineage. They have a lot of people in that lineage. Oh, yeah. And uh, But really, I'll take in the lead of, of Bill and um, not Carl, uh, but Steven, too. You know? Yeah. I, mean, like, I think that's why it all still sort of works. But but again, these lyrics, too, like, I, you know, I always felt like I was in the doghouse. This I is my favorite part of this song. Coming up. Oh, so I mean, good. It's so fucking so good, great, man. yeah, yeah. Because you got the bass yeah. going, too, and it's like... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great, It's man. perfect. But, uh, yeah, and, and those riffs, dude, that was, just, that was just like a badass, like, rock bluesy riff. Like, they, they're, they're so... When I started listening to this again after you talked to me about doing this episode, mm -hmm. I started, like, noticing those, like, little, like, nuances and, like, intricacies that, like, make this band so special. Like, like that particular part, that, like, like real bluesy part. yeah. And so track nine, uh, She Loves Me, which was written by Bill Stevenson. Who would ever thought the drummer from Black Flag could write such beautiful songs? So, and this is just like a great, great pop song, you know? And like, here's the thing that like I, when I was listening to this and trying to like figure out what my thoughts are on Bill's songwriting. I'll let this play a little bit first. It's like the simplicity of these songs, you know? And like, it's these like, he writes these like really great, you know, almost like perfect pop songs and they all seem so effortless, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, that's a good point. It just seems, they're so effortless and they're so simple that like, you might think they're boring, but they're not. They just hit exactly what they need to hit. And like, you know, you have Stevenson songs that they're all kind of like traditional. They're all like have these rhyming couplets, like all the lines rhyme. Whereas like Ackerman's songs, they don't all necessarily rhyme. Yeah. And yeah. so you have like that distinction. And so when you put them together and, and you have this other hodgepodge of all these other people contributing to the songs on this record, uh, it, it's just, it's a cool, cool way to come back, you Definitely. know, as a band for yeah. all this stuff. But you're right though. It's a, you know, it's a point out the, 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 the pop sensibilities these guys as songwriters forget about punk rock forget about all that stuff just wrote incredible pop songs mm -hmm. and then you have uh this song is hateful notebook oh i love this one i had a I had a ex-girlfriend that wrote on her uh, live journal all the time when i used to listen to this album and this song always made me think about <laughs> the, the, the shitty things she would write about me in her uh Live journal. <laughs> Have you checked in to see if it's still up? Because a lot of live journals are still up. A lot of, the, a lot of those things are. I haven't checked in a while, but because um, this is many X's uh, before, but looking at your old Friendster and MySpace profiles. <laughs> Try it sometime. This is great. This is right, right here. In a little book. <laughs> oh, it's great. This part right here is fucking genius. Just the chord progression. But again, like, oh, and just the lead guitar here. Right here, man. 
And it's repetitive, man. It just gets a point across. Good hook. It's a simple song, but yeah. like that's where they shine, man, is in there. And their simplicity with all that stuff. So we get to We, the 11th track. Milo Walkerman wrote this one. So I have a question for you, but listen to the lyrics first. Oh, the chorus of this song is amazing. I can't wait. Right here, dude. It's a sparse hook. He's not singing the whole time? Yeah. And that? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So this is like a real, like, I will say like a lovely us against the world type song, right? Yeah. The first line says, I don't care what they say, those numbers don't mean a thing. What do you think that means? You know? I thought age at first. And then I was like, maybe they're talking bank account. What, what do you think? I always thought that it was probably the second thing that you just said. Mm -hmm. I think it's a song about, I think it's a love song uh, about a couple whose relationship is deteriorating because of, you know, they're not in it for the right reasons. They're, they're fighting over money or they're fighting over, that's what I always got mm, from it. Interesting. You know, that's what I always got. Uh, and, and, I, and I always felt like what he was trying to say is that we got it made together and those numbers don't mean a thing. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's about you and me. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's what I think the love song is about. That's oh, what sure. I took from it. But yeah. the numbers, you think, you think it's a money thing? I thought it was a money thing. I thought, or, or, or just like re representing material material stuff just the versus, quantification of something versus mm. the chemistry of two people in love and trying to convince that other person that that that, that that's all that matters that's that's <laughs> interesting i think you're right on with that yeah, very romantic idea so we get to uh on track 12 it's kind of an interesting <laughs> track this is the oldest song on here uh eunuch boy and this is like very like classic descendants because it's a silly song and uh, as, so Tony Lombardo, he played on this as well. And this is a song that he and Milo had written 15 years earlier. And so this is from Milo. Eunuch Boy is the first song I ever, I ever wrote, really. When we formed, Tony Lombardo, the original bass player, said, dude, you need to write some songs. I had never written a song before, so I just wrote down some words and brought it to him, and he made the music for it. And so now you've got this song, Eunuch Boy. <laughs> Weird when they when they would play these fast pop punk songs, mm -hmm. they never came off as cheesy. Nothing I ever did was, and a lot of the West Coast stuff. Uh, no offense, it always a lot. There was a lot of cheesy stuff out there. They just did it everything in the perfect way. And it's like it's a song. It's a song about a guy with no dick, you know. Yeah, it's and like, silly. That's the, the, and yeah, and that was like kind of you can tell that it's from that era. Yeah. But when they do it, it's like okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is another song written by Milo. It's called This Place. I like when he says he hasn't made a friend in three whole years. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, this place does suck. Damn. That's how I felt about my hometown. Really? Yeah, Manhattan. It was horrible. Yeah, I was surrounded by a whole bunch of conservative Catholic Republican jocks. 
lot of homophobic fucking macho mm. assholes. So yeah, this song spoke to me. I guess it's 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 uh, interesting to hear that just because like you happen to be in this like one little enclave pocket of like Long and I'm, I know Long Island. It's got a bunch of like shitty parts like that, yeah, yeah. but just like as a whole and just like as a scene in general, it's just so fucking cool. But to like, I guess yeah, come from that specific place, yeah. not that great. It was probably so, cool because of the shitty towns that we came from. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's where that's where all that stuff yeah. came. Mm. Rage, yeah, angst. Uh, <laughs> so this song was written by uh, by um, blah, 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 Carl Alvarez, mm. and I think that this is like a great, straightforward. Like it's not even like a punk song. It's like a good. It's like a straightforward pop rock song. It's called "I Won't Let Me." Oh yeah. yeah. It's like a pep talk song. Yeah. And they had a song called Pep Talk. <laughs> and I love that riff at the end of the bar. Oh, I love this. I know right from wrong, I know it can be strong. It's great. You know who I can picture doing this song and who this song almost sounds like is... I want to hear this. Foo Fighters? Well, I guess them too. I love that part. Yeah. Everclear. Can't you picture Everclear doing yeah. this song? Actually, little little known fact about on a side tangent that people don't realize about Everclear. They used to play punk shows. Yeah. They used I, to play I, a lot I, of punk I shows. I saw Everclear with H2O once, and one time they played at CBGBs with a bunch of punk bands that my friend lets go see. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that song's cool. It's like a, it's like a you know, the, the, the journey that this album takes you on as it gets to this part, uh, I feel is like, this is like a hopefulness in that song. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't all suck. Like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good way to yeah. put it. They're, tr they're trying to bring it up and end it on a sort of positive note. Yeah. So before we get to the last track, I want to quickly play uh, the three B-sides from this record. So sure. this is uh, Lucky that was released on the I'm the One single. song but like good I song could, I, I could see, see why, why it's like, a b-side yeah. yeah the and here he, i think that of the three b-sides this song called shattered milo i think it's i think it's one of the most interesting of like this like newer descendants era uh just because it's got like these tempo changes in it it's it's the most interesting i think of the yeah. b-sides so this is shattered milo on the i'm the one single It's like an 80s metal song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I can still see why it's a B-side at the same time. Here's why I think it's a B-side, because of the tempo change. Oh, wow. It's not even like halftime, you know? They change the yeah, tempo. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. It's weird. Yeah, but it's interesting. I like it. It's the first time hearing these. I like it too. It's cool. No one takes chances like that anymore. I can see, I can see, 
I don't know. I don't know if it was Bill, but I can I can kind of see Bill saying like, "Wow." Yeah, and then it speeds back up, and it does that. It does it again. I can see him kind of saying like, "Oh, this is this is a little bit too much. It doesn't it didn't have like it doesn't have like a, a personality. It's got too many different well, things going on." Well, all the songs on the album tie into each other so, so well. Yeah, musically and lyrically. And so this is the last B side I'll play. This is off the "When I Get Old" single. It's called "Gotta." A fun little like snare. Thing. Yeah, he loves that. He loves that. And Tony Lombardo plays on this, one of the original members. It's kind of like a Scott type yeah. song. Yeah, wow. Huh. I, I wish I could never... take a picture of your face right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you think I never heard Senate's playing ska music. It's a little upsetting. Is it? Oh, <laughs> look at you. <laughs> not a big ska guy. Oh, you're not? No. Big reggae guy. Dub guy. That was a little upsetting to hear that. I'm sorry, Ken. Uh, hey man, don't apologize to me. I didn't write the song. I know. I'm not inviting you to my Keysby Nights party. I guess. Sky yeah, <laughs> night. And so I wanted to I wanted to play those B sides first before uh, we finished everything up with uh, fucking one of one of the best songs on this record and mm. a great great way to close it out. Again, Carl Alvarez wrote this song, uh, and this is this is Thank You. Yeah, and with a, a secret track. Yeah, yeah. well that that'll come up too. Oh, it's amazing. It's like, so, yeah. so catchy. What a great melody. Yeah. Chorus. It's great. I love this. Those bass lines. You know, it's interesting. So, if I may, um, yeah, this song, ending the record, called Thank You, again, sort of going with what the assumed theme is and how everything sort of fits in a storyline. I also feel, I also felt like this song was a thank you not to the fans, but also it sounds like he's singing to his bandmates because he says, thank you for playing the way you play. Absolutely. That's my theory. So I was going to, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to ask you what you think this song is about or who you think it's about. And so... I went on the uh, the Descendants subreddit. There's a conversation about that there. And uh, what somebody says on the subreddit, and there's a few people that sort of corroborated, is that, uh, so Carl wrote this song, and he they think that uh, he pretty much wrote it about the Descendants because uh, yep. he joined them kind of like later uh, in their career. It wasn't there originally, and he was a fan of theirs beforehand. And then, um, so on the AV Club, they had a little series called Hear This, and it's AV Club writers sing the praises of songs they know well. And uh, this guy, David Anthony, uh, picked, chose this song. And so I want to I read this like sort of like second bit of the, what he wrote about it. So again, this is, uh, this is David Anthony from the AV Club. I want to make sure I got that right, and I'm crediting him. So he goes, <clears throat> there's an ambiguity to thank you that makes it such an apt closer for the band's reunion record. Even if it's at odds with the record title, the 14 preceding songs fall in line with the ethos of the, that the Descendants established in 1987 with the all logistics, but it's the fact that Aukerman never says who exactly he's singing about that makes the song universal. It's obvious he's singing about a band, but 
uh, even he makes even he makes reference to the cassette tapes and rock and roll shows, and he omits the band's name. Makes it feel like an appreciative Mad Libs all Descendants fans can fill in. Mm-hmm. When Ackerman sings, "Thank you for playing the way you play," it's just as easy to think of my family, my friends, even the Descendants themselves for all the support and the influence. I may be more inclined to utter "Everything sucks" instead of "Thank you" on a daily basis, but it's the duality that makes the latter feel earned and hopefully carry a bit more weight. And I thought that was like a nice way to put that. That's exactly what I, you know, that that sums it all up. Yeah. I mean, because I, I I thought that it was him talking about his bandmates, but it could have been him talking about the bands that he listened to that got him into this whole thing sure. in the first place. But it's just like a sort of a gratitude to. Uh, I think everyone that sort of shaped, I, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. That article just sort of uh, painted the picture perfectly. Yeah, he, yeah, he put it a really yeah. nice way. I, I, was, yeah. I was glad I found that. And uh, Dave, if you're listening, come on the show. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, thanks for picking this record. Thanks, and it ended on a perfect time because I'm going to see the Buzzcocks. That's right, at, at, at uh, yeah. Webster. So much punk rock happening, man. That's fucking yeah. awesome. Uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to you wanna plug? What should people check out that you've done? Well, uh, depending on when this... Is, when is this airing? Uh, sometime in the future. I'll right. give you that. All right. Well, Let's give something I'll, evergreen. I'll, 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 well, first of all, thank you for having me on thank your you podcast, Cats. I uh, really appreciate it. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to uh, uh, let everybody know uh, Primitive Weapons is the band I'm in. I have a record coming out on Party Smasher, Inc., which is Ben Weinman from Dillinger Skate Plan's record label. should be coming out in early 2018. Um, also in a band called Spotlights with a record coming out on Ipecac Records, which is Mike Patton's label. And uh, the band will be on tour with the Melvins for the next three months. Um, so check them out in a city near you and come say hi. Sounds check good, them man. Out, check me out. Check them out. Check. If you do see Chris, man, say yeah. what's up. Uh, well, thanks again. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And uh, come back and talk about Converge on another episode. Let's do it. All right, man. Thanks again. Thank you. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives, somebody stole a mask, they stole $250, they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn, they're probably having a burlesque, <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later, I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield, what isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing, I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey, ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!